0: you have your Bible, it will be in Matthew chapter 13. And some of these parables, I am being reminded myself for sharing some similar themes. Some of the themes we'll see this morning, we have covered already. Maybe Jesus wants us to be reminded of them over and over and over again. President Woodrow Wilson famously said, I would rather fail in a cause that would ultimately succeed than succeed in a cause that would ultimately fail. Certainly some truth in that statement. So many are trying so hard to succeed in causes that will ultimately fail. As I pondered that this week, I thought of the rat race. And I thought, what exactly is the rat race? I googled it, one place to find it is the unpleasant life of people who have jobs that require them to work very hard in order to compete with others for money, power, status, etc. And maybe a little bit better was not the definition that I saw, but a cartoon that I saw. About the rat race And in box number one Where are these rats And they're in the race They're in that maze And they're trying to make their way through it And in box number one There's a sign that says Happiness is just around the corner Work harder So sure enough They get to working harder We're going to find happiness It's right around the corner And then in box number two there's There's another sign Happiness is just around the corner Buy more things In our mind's eye, they're scampering around to buy more things because happiness is just around the corner if I'll just buy more things. Box number three. There's a sign. Happiness is just around the corner. Keep going. So you're scurrying about and You're buying more things because happiness is just around the corner. Well, keep doing it because happiness is just around the corner. And then finally, box number four. Happiness is just around the corner. Earn more money. And on and on and on it goes. Trying so hard to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. That kind of life, Jesus said, is empty. It may be rich in possessions, but you'll remember one of the parables we looked at, he said, the goal is to be rich toward God. In other teaching, he warned us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. If we were playing off of Wilson's quote, we might say, the call is to give ourselves to that which will ultimately succeed even if we stumble and fall and even fail in the pursuit of it. I'm not so sure how it fits, but I had to include this one. It it popped into mind, Not, not President Wilson, but President Roosevelt, the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know, who neither know victory nor defeat. What about commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ? What about giving yourself wholeheartedly to the kingdom of Jesus? Is that endeavor stupid? You know, if you and I do that, are we engaging in a cause that will ultimately fail? Are we spending ourselves and daring greatly with great devotion and energy and time and money for a cause that will ultimately fail? Or is it the greatest investment of our lives that we could ever make? that even in all of our devotion, if we stumble and fall and even fail at times, we'll ultimately be a part of a cause that will succeed. I think you know the answer, at least the answer that Jesus will give us. And of course, the question for you and for me is whether or not we will believe Jesus. It's an issue of faith. Will we trust that giving our lives to Jesus Christ in this life is a solid investment of our lives in light of what He says is coming? Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. We're going to see small beginnings. Gradual, irrepressible growth and massive influence of the kingdom. So, you remember from last week, the expectations were that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom now. A sharp divide between the righteous and the wicked and God's judgment would fall upon the wicked, his people would be vindicated and they would rule upon the earth forevermore. But of course, Jesus has come and said the expectations were all wrong. That his kingdom would look a little bit different than what might have been expected. And this parable is about that same sort of thing. Verse 31. He presented another parable to them. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until... It was all leavened. First thing Jesus seems to be saying to us is that his kingdom had an insignificant beginning. The two images clearly, the mustard seed, which stood for in those days something that was proverbially small. It was a very, very tiny seed And to those in that culture, it was the smallest seed that they knew of. And the rabbis, again, would use it proverbially to talk about something that was insignificant, small, tiny. And he uses that of leaven. Compared to the flour, the portion of leaven is quite small that one would use. And so it seems to be that Jesus is reminding us and teaching us that his kingdom would have a small, insignificant beginning, unimpressive, small and even tiny. We talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, but here it is again. We think about Jesus himself, the Messiah, announcing that the kingdom of God is here. And yet, who was he but a little baby born in a backward town of Bethlehem? Not born in Jerusalem, the religious center of the world at that time. Not born in Rome, the political center of the world at that time. But born in a little town of Bethlehem. How still we see the light. He would have no crown. and He would have no scepter. and He would have no robe other than those that Molly read of earlier when they mocked him. You're the king of the Jews. He was despised. He was rejected. He suffered. And he died. The Messiah. The king. And then think about the original 12 guys that he chose. This small band of followers themselves were not terribly impressive, at least not according to the culture folks of the day. Some of them were fishermen. At least one of them was a tax collector, hated by the Jewish people, his own people. Others were political zealots. And none of them understood what he was up to. He kept time and time and time again having to say, do you guys not understand? These guys themselves would ultimately be ridiculed, mocked, despised, rejected. And of the 12, church history tells us that 11 11 of them killed for their faith. That's what started this thing. Paul would say of some of the early Christians there in Corinth. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. Not wise, not mighty, not noble, but rather foolish, weak, base, despised things that are not. This kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the Messiah, contrary to expectation, Did not come with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance and boom onto the scene. It started really small. With Jesus and his small band of followers. But secondly, it seems that Jesus wants us to know that it would experience gradual and irrepressible growth. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, and this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, imply that this little seed is going to grow. And of the leaven, kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid, mixed together with three pecks of flour until. Till there's going to be a period of gradual, irrepressible growth to the kingdom of Jesus. And of course, that's exactly what happened, right? We follow the story of the New Testament: it was Jesus and the twelve, and then after Jesus died and rose. appeared to his disciples and then he ascended into heaven and they gathered together there in the book of Acts there's about 120 of them Peter will preach in Acts chapter 2 and some 3,000 will be added and then over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts Luke tells us that many were added and many were added and many were added and many were added There was the church in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then northern further north to Galilee, and further north to Damascus and Antioch, The missionary journeys of Paul to the island of Cyprus and Pisidia, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and Troas and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus. And somehow or another, John will write the book of Revelation to churches in Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, and churches planted in Colossae, Peter will write a letter to believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Paul will write a letter to believers in Rome. This little thing with Jesus and his twelve began to do this. Just like he said it would. Just a few from church history What about the other apostles? It's believed that Matthew took the gospel down south into Egypt. Thomas went east into India. Simon into Iran. These other apostles of Christ taking the message that had been entrusted to them and going further and telling others. Two became four, and then four became eight, became 16, and 32, and 64, and 128, and it just passed on, and on, and on, and on. And for 2,000 years now, this little mustard seed has been growing, and this leaven of the kingdom of Christ has been permeating. Finally, the kingdom of Christ promises massive influence. Jesus said, this mustard seed is smaller than all other seeds, but when it's fully grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. This this little mustard seed becomes this much larger plant becoming a tree such that it can welcome birds of the air that will come and nest in its branches. That that phrase, that idea is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about the nations that will come to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. Birds of the air, just for fun, I know Our good buddy John Stevens and Bev love to watch and take pictures of birds. And I thought, how many birds are in Houston? Just here in Houston, here are the kinds of birds. I don't even know how to say some of them. Bitterns and herons and egrets, vultures and osprey, kites, eagles and hawks, falcons, gulls, terns, skimmers, pigeons and doves, true owls, swifts, hummingbirds, kingfishers, woodpeckers, shrikes, vireos, crows and jays, swallows and more. That's just right here in Houston. Think about all of the people groups of the world that have come to take their rest in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Birds of the air from all over to come home to Him. This little thing Gradual growth to where peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people come to partake of forgiveness, reconciliation, new life, and eternal life in Jesus Christ. This leaven, this little bit of leaven that gets put within the three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. It did exactly what this woman intended, just as Jesus' kingdom will do exactly as Jesus intended. Jeremiah's commenting said, "One of the most insignific- out of the most insignificant beginnings, invisible to human eyes, God creates His mighty kingdom, which embraces all the peoples of the world." Small, insignificant beginning. Gradual, yet irrepressible growth. Massive influence. I should have shown it to you, but you can search up videos to trace the growth of the church over the last 2,000 years. It's, it's historians doing the best they can in a little video, and it's pretty cool to watch it go like this. In some parts of the world, it will seem to shrink back, and then it will do this, and and such that now, two thousand years old, later, the gospel of Christ is truly, obviously, international. There are no borders to it, but it extends, it permeates all over the world. Surely there is still work to do with unreached and unengaged people groups, but just as Jesus said, "This thing is going to be larger than the garden plants, become a tree that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." And of course, when He comes, his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover. Here's a few truths for us, I think, that hopefully will encourage you and me. Maybe first, let's behold the wisdom of God that upends the wisdom of the world, choosing the small and the rejected to build his massive kingdom. Folks, that's good news for you and me. According to Jesus' plans, according to what Paul says, you don't have to be wise. You don't have to be mighty. You don't have to be noble. Rather, you can be foolish and weak, base, despised. Nothing but a love for Christ. A love for his gospel, a love for his people. That's the kind of stuff he chooses and he uses. We've got our men on Friday mornings going through some discipleship training, and one of the things we're trying to wrap our heads around is that in order to be a disciple who makes disciples, you do not have to have a Bible or seminary degree. Nor do you have to have the gift of teaching. Nor do you have to have a perfect, righteous life. You just have to love Jesus. Love His gospel and His truth and love people. And make ourselves available to Christ and available to His people and we can be used by Him in His incredible, massive kingdom enterprise. In other words, that includes you. You don't have to be anything special in the world's eyes. Jesus loves to take the little things, the insignificant things, the unimpressive things, people, and use them in magnificent ways for his kingdom purposes. It's everyday disciples making disciples in every day life. (coughs) Secondly, maybe another one is this, let's behold the heart of God for all the nations of the world. Their expectation was in so many ways, I think, that that our Messiah, the Messiah of Israel is going to come and defeat our enemies and reign and we with it We Jews, with our Jewish Messiah in our Jewish land. And Jesus said, You've you misunderstood. God created mankind in His image. Adam and Eve and those who would come forth from them, and though they're all fallen in sin, and it's not until Genesis 12 when God is going to choose Abraham, because he's going to, from Abraham, he's going to create a nation through whom he will bring a Messiah to bring salvation to all the nations. It wasn't only meant for the Jewish people. It was meant for the nations. And Jesus is spelling it out right here. That this kingdom has a heartbeat for all the nations of the world, all the nations or all the birds of the air that come, will come and nest in its branches. You remember how this particular gospel ends? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the risen Christ said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've I have commanded and will am with you always, even at the end of the age. Go preach this thing to all the nations, because my kingdom is made up of all the nations red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. May any seed of any sort of racism in any of our hearts be put to death by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves them and is sending his gospel to all the peoples of the world, such that if any will humble themselves, repent of their sins, and trust in him, they can take refuge in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And then maybe finally, let's remember that the power of God, so we've considered maybe the wisdom of God to to upend the wisdom of the world in choosing the small, the unimpressive, and the like, and the heart of God, not only for the Jewish people, but for the nations of the world. And now the power of God that overcomes all obstacles and opposition to accomplish His purpose. In so many words, Jesus said, this is going to happen. It's going to start small. It's going to gradually and irrepressibly grow. and it's going to have massive influence. Peoples of the nations of the world will come and be a part of this kingdom, this family of Christ. It's going to happen, Jesus said, and that's exactly what happened. For 2,000 years now, this little thing has been overcoming all obstacles and all opposition to accomplish exactly what Jesus deems to accomplish. In the book of Acts, there's one of the little themes that runs through the latter half of the book is, is Paul's journey to Rome. And Jesus, at the beginning of that journey, made a promise to Paul that he was going to see Rome, and then it looks like apparently one of the things Luke is doing—the latter half of the book—is to show that nothing is going to stop that purpose. One thing after another that seemingly will keep Paul from getting to Rome, but when you get to Rome, to Acts chapter twenty-eight, the end of the book, guess where Paul is? Rome, just as Jesus promised. No opposition, no obstacle will keep it from happening. His purposes are going to be fulfilled. So, almost done. I may get done a little early. I got done a little early a week ago, and people were saying, Great job. <laughs> Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything. Right. Wow, the worship team's getting up too. I'm not that close. <laughs> Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything, right? And that that that's, that happens a lot. But certainly, he's wanting us to do something, right? If I'm tracking with him, he's saying, "Hey, disciples." Yeah. Small, insignificant beginning, but, but gradual, irrepressible growth and massive implications towards the end. To the end. My purpose is going to happen. May may have blown your mind for a bit to realize it, it's not happening according to your expectations. My plan's a little bit different than yours. This thing's going to start a little bitty, like a little mustard seed, like just a bit of leaven. But it's going to grow And my purposes are going to come to fruition. The birds of the air are going to come and nest in this kingdom. It's going to permeate the entire world. Thanks, Jesus. What does he want to do with that? probably go in a hundred different directions with it. But I think he's encouraging you and me to give our lives to his kingdom purposes. His kingdom may be hidden, but it is happening according to plans and it will reach its ends. So jump all in. Full devotion. What what were the words of Roosevelt? How sad is it that we're talking about the words of Jesus and the words of Roosevelt? Be a doer of deeds in the kingdom of Christ. Jump into the arena. You may get marred by dust and sweat and blood, but strive valiantly, Show great enthusiasm, great devotion. Spend yourself. Dare greatly. And you may stumble, and you may fall, and you may fail, but it's a whole lot better to stumble and fall and even fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in some cause that will ultimately Maybe Jesus is saying to you and to me, come on. I know I'm upsetting your expectations. I know it's not going according to what you had thought. It's a hidden kingdom. It's a secret kingdom. It's, it's doing its thing, but not in ways you anticipated. Come on. Follow me. I'll make you fishers again. And you'll be a part of this gradual, irrepressible growth of the kingdom of Christ until I deem, it's over. And I'll come again, receive you to myself, and I will establish a new heavens and a new earth, and righteousness will dwell there forever. And you will too. Come, follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. Help us to understand them, believe them, and adjust our lives to them. This sort of truth and all the truths that you have for us are not merely to instruct us. We love that kind of thing. We can learn to transform us that your truth that instructs would also transform. Transform our minds and our hearts our lives. Conform us more to the image of Jesus that we might follow him. So thank you for your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit would do this good work in each of us. Ship away what needs to be chipped away. Cultivate and grow in each of our hearts what each of us needs. And help us to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.